0: Our scripture lesson today comes from the good news, the gospel of Mark. Let's share in God's good word together. The large crowd was listening to him with delight. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury." For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. This Christmas is going to be different. Our hospitals are full and our stadiums empty. A vaccine is on the way, but there is a long way to go. This Christmas, Simply remembering a tiny baby in a sweet little manger scene will not do. This Christmas, we need a savior, a king with power to heal the sick, to make things right, to bring hope where there is no hope. This Christmas, it's not about the baby. It's about a different kind of king. This Christmas, we need a different kind of Christmas, a different image in our mind. It's not about the baby. It's about a different kind of king. A king of love and grace and power for you and me to make the world right again. A king who was and is and is to come. So how do we prepare for that kind of king? How do we prepare for a different kind of king this Christmas? Well, we are in this series, A Different Kind of Christmas. And a few weeks ago at week one, we learned this. We can spend less and be happier. There's no reason to be in debt on Jesus' birthday. The things that Jesus wants, they don't cost much in terms of dollars and cents. So we invite you to spend less, and we want you to talk to Jesus about what he wants from you for his birthday. You know, I've been talking to Jesus every day for a long time, and it's interesting, many of the things that Jesus asks of me actually don't wait till December 25th. He'll say, well, Mark, what I really want for my birthday is for you to do this today. And when I do those things and I listen and I respond, miracles happen. Beautiful and wonderful things come into my life and to those around me because I'm honoring Jesus, not just on His birthday, but every day. And as we do that, God's kingdom comes to earth. And you can do that too. I hope you will. I hope you'll talk to Jesus this week. One of the things that I know makes Jesus happy is when we give a dollar more to Him on His birthday than we spend on ourselves. So I want to invite you to give $1 more to the Christmas Eve Candlelight Mission Offering than you spend on your family. We do this each and every year, and we raise more than $100,000 each year uh, for the past uh, six, seven years now um, to give out into the world. Now, this is important, and I want to invite you to be serious about this because roughly 80% of all of our resources that we give out through the year come at Christmas Eve. Uh, We don't ask you over and over and over again each week for something different. Um, What we say is we're going to take up a Christmas Eve offering and we'd like for you to give a dollar more to Jesus on his birthday than you spend on yourself. And we'd also like for you to give uh, to others at Easter um, and spend more uh, to give to Jesus and his people than you'd spend on an Easter dress or flowers. Uh, And largely we get about 80% at Christmas and about 20% at Easter. And so this is a really big deal and it changes the world. It saves lives. Uh, There's been a lot in the news about people dying these days, but I want to remind you that one of the great things this church does is that we fight the leading cause of death in our world, and that is waterborne illness. I want to point this out. More than 3.4 million people die each year, each and every year, due to waterborne illness. That's the leading cause of death around the world. And friends, this includes 4,000 little ones, 4,000 children a day each and every day. When you look at those COVID numbers, I would remind you that around the world, this pandemic of waterborne illness could be wiped out by simply providing clean drinking water for people who don't yet have it. And I'm thrilled to report that your church has put in 26 water wells in El Salvador and Guatemala, almost Guatemala exclusively, one in El Salvador and 25 in Guatemala to fight this. And we put in another one this year. We weren't able to go in person, but we were able to make that happen. And so when you give to the mission offering, you are literally saving thousands of lives. Then last week, Pastor Brandon gave us an excellent message on the gift of not having to have everything be perfect. So when we give up on our our perfect Christmas, we make room for Jesus, for his Christmas, for his birthday. And it's true, friends that um, this can be hard to do because, as Mike Slaughter put it, life gets messy. It does. But in the midst of your mess, God shows up. That's great news because life, well, it's messy right now. Masks, vaccines, online school, online church, in-person worship every other week with a quarantine period in between. <sighs> life is messy. Parents dying. Children Crying, making a budget, or even the smallest of plans for 2021 can seem overwhelming. Life is messy. We need a Savior. And friends, it's messy for me personally right now as well. 56 years ago, uh, my parents in March, John and Carol Foster, they were married. And uh, I love them, but it has been a messy year for us. Um, Dad is now in a wheelchair. Uh, which is new to him. He's never had to do that before. Uh, And he and mom are separated um, from where they live in their retirement facility. And so um, if we're going to see dad because of where he lives, uh, mom and I have to uh, set a time and then drive over. And the last time we went, it was 32 degrees. Uh, And so my mom is standing outside in 32 degree weather. And then they crack the door open and they wheel dad up. And dad's first comment was, It's cold, shut the window. And we're like, Well, you won't be able to hear us if we shut the window. And um, we visit for a little bit and we catch up, and he looks good and things are well. Um, and mom leans up to the window and she says, I love you. And dad, under his mask, goes, What? And she says, John, I love you. And fast as a heartbeat, he says, Carol, I love you too. And the presence of God shown around. Those of you who know my family, my dad doesn't say that much or often, and certainly not with such uh, vigor and enthusiasm. But their love, even in the mess, is powerful. It's a great witness to me as I got to see that. But life is messy, and I know it is for you too. It's not just my family. I know all sorts of members of our church are going through a very hard time right now. So before I go on with the lesson, I want us to stop and say a prayer together. I want us to remember that Advent is about Jesus coming back to earth as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus is available to you right now, to all of us, and will come again to make all things right. Let's pray together. Father, we are weary of all that is wrong with the world. Murder of the innocents, A smeared and wrecked creation, tyrant, oppressed, poor, hunger, withered children, exploited women, forgotten elderly, invisible homeless. Jesus, we believe your coming again will mean the writing of all that is wrong. It will complete your rescue plan and fully carry out your redemption. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, and redeem your people. Come quickly and rescue us. And all of God's people say, Amen. So this week, I want us to look and celebrate at what kind of king values a penny more than a thousand dollars. Well, it's the king of the universe. It's King Jesus, of course. And I'm referring to the scripture that we read off the top where Jesus is at the treasury and he shows what's important to him. Now, those in power and control They've never liked Jesus. They hated Jesus, actually. So if you go back to Mark chapter 12 and you look at the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the leaders, they were always at odds with Jesus. But by the end of chapter 12, you find Jesus now removed from those arguments with the leaders of the power and control of his time. And he looks at a widow. You see, the crowds who were with Jesus, they were delighted by him. They loved him. They knew that they needed him and he was there for them. And so in Mark chapter 12, verse 37, it says this, the large crowd was listening to Jesus with delight. They loved him and they listened intently because he had the very words of life. Now, as they went to the temple, there were 13 donation boxes or donation chests in the temple court. And each one of them were labeled with the purpose for which the money would be used. And so Chantal and I've had the great privilege of being on the Temple Mount. It's a huge area. And so there are thirteen different donation buckets, if you will. And each one of them said what the money would go for. And so in this scenario, Jesus then comes, and this is what the scripture says about that. He sits down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury, into these boxes. And many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Just a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything. She put in everything, friends, that she had. All that she had to live on. Now... Whatever the purpose of that chest was, the widow was all in. In my mind's eye, I think of her going from one place at the Temple Mount to another and to another. And she reads, um, you know, what what the money would go for. And she goes, no, not, not that. But then she comes to that one chest. And I wonder if maybe, just maybe that chest was for the widow's. And she knew how hard it was to make a life with no husband and no family and no help. And she knew that if any other people out there were like her, they needed everything she had. So she was all in to care for those who were hurting, those who were hungry. And so she she just put it all in, everything she had, because she knew the need. so she just did it out of her heart of love and compassion. And Jesus talks about her, that that's... He looks at her heart, not at her income, not at what she gave. She looks at her heart of love and compassion and mercy. And this Jesus, who judges and discerns and evaluates like this, he looks at our hearts and and this is the one who's coming. This is our King of kings and Lord of lords. This is who's coming back. And here's the thing about kings. The thing about the king is he decides... He decides what's right. He decides what's wrong. He decides what happens. He decides what's important. And he decides that this widow was by far the best example of what God wants from us. To be all in. To bring his kingdom to earth. And sometimes it takes the very best of who we are and what we have to make that happen in the world. I want to show you what the Bible says about this king this King Jesus that's coming back. One of my favorite verses, really my life verse, uh, comes out of 2 Peter. um, And I want to share it with you because it's so beautiful and important. The Bible says this, do not ignore this one fact, beloved. He calls you beloved, that you are loved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like one day. You see, time is not a limiter of this King. Time cannot control... Time has nothing to do with God. God is in time and outside of time. He is eternal. And so for those of us that get so locked up about when something's going to happen, Jesus says, you don't have to be worried about this. I've got this. And friends, if you're a person of faith and you are worried about other people of faith that they're not as far along as you'd like for them to be, cool your jets. Jesus is working on every person on the planet and you cannot rush Him. And you cannot rush other people in their faith development. You have to love them right where they are and trust Jesus with them. If they don't yet know Him, He knows them. He knows their address. And He would love to use you to bless them, not to curse them, certainly not to harm them, but to surround them with love and grace and forgiveness and a community of redemption to draw them along, to speak truth and love and grace. No, the Lord is not slow about His promise. As Some think of slowness, but it's patient with you, with every one of us, not wanting any to perish. I want you to say that with me, not wanting any to perish, not one, not one person that you've ever met, not one person you've ever locked eyes with in this world does God want far from him. He wants all of his children around. At Christmas, at Thanksgiving, at Easter, at every holiday, at every day, God wants his kids with him. And that includes you. Just know that about you that God loves you right where you are, and He doesn't want you far from Him. He wants you with Him. But all to come to repentance, to turn your life towards Him, to be a part of what He is doing, because the King decides. So the King's desire is that none should perish and everyone be in right relationship with Him. That's what God wants this Christmas. That's what Jesus wants. So, this is very important, friends. So when you say, or you hope, or you think, that someone should go to hell, you are in direct opposition to the king. There's nothing worse you can do than to hope or wish or say that someone or put a label on someone that that's what's happening to them. One, that's not yours. That's God's to decide. And two, just know that that is the opposite heart of God. We know this from the scripture. So we don't know when in God's good judgment the king will return, but we do know the king will return at the right time. See, the only reason God hasn't come back is because it's not time. It's not the best time. If it were the best time, He would have already come back. But God will come for you, and He comes for everyone at the right time. At the right time for God's good purposes. So no, we don't know when in God's good judgment the King will return, but we do know the King will return at the right time. So the Scripture says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief. You won't know. It's just going to happen. No thief tells you, oh, by the way, I'm going to rob you at 3 p.m. tomorrow. That would be dumb. He would get arrested. So the thief comes when no one's home, when no one's expecting it. And Then the scripture says the heavens will pass away with the loud noise and the elements will be dissolved with fire and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. Friends, what this is saying is that God's going to come back and he's going to transform everything that's broken. He's going to make it right. And this whole idea about fire, it was something the Bible used to show as a way of refining, redeeming, renewing, Um, because the artisans of that day used fire to burn out impurities and make things new and good and right and beautiful. That's what this is saying. And everything that is done on the earth will be disclosed. Why don't you think about that? Maybe think about what you've done this week. Maybe you did something really wonderful for someone and they didn't notice. No one noticed. God noticed. And one day, that too will be revealed. Because when Jesus the King returns, everything done on earth is revealed. Everything. All of it. So if you've been doing wonderful things in secret, one day the world will know. And if you've been intentionally trying to harm people and you just haven't gotten by with it, That will be known, too, because our hearts will be revealed in the same way that the widows might revealed who she was. Our actions reveal who we are, and there's no way of keeping that secret forever. It will be revealed, the Bible says. And since this is true, the Bible says, what sorts of people ought we to be? If everything you ever do in your life will one day be revealed, might we want to be kind of careful how we live? Since everybody's going to know our business, ultimately, one day. The scripture says this. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Hastening is an earnest desire. Bring it on, God. Come on back. We want to see. We're ready to see you. Because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved, and the elements will melt with fire. But in accordance with His promise, we wait... For new heavens, there's that transformation. New heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. Therefore, beloved, again, you are beloved, wanted, graced. While you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by God at peace. Not in chaos, not in strife, not in fighting, not in arguing, not trying to prove yourself right or better than, but a person of peace and grace and compassion and help and mercy. Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace, without spot or blemish, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. God's patience is a part of God's great plan for you and for me. And if it would have been better for him to have come back by now, he would have. So these are the things we learn. One, the people who earnestly desire Jesus to come, that's who we are to be. That we hasten Jesus' return, we eagerly await it. Two, We are people who don't just think right or try to prove our point. We live right. We are people who live doing right. So it's not about being right. It's about doing right. I think it's possible that you might even be wrong about some things. But you can do right even if you're not right in all things. You know what? My calculus is not great. But I can still do the next right thing for people who do understand it much better than I do. I do that with my youngest son, Noah, all the time. He knows all sorts of things that I don't know. But I can do right by him, even if I don't know some of the right things that he knows. That's important, friends, that we are people who do right. We do the next right thing. That's who God calls us to be. And then thirdly, people of peace... We live as people of peace who are thankful for God's patience with us as an act of salvation. Friends, could that be said of you? If someone were to describe you, would they say that you are a person of peace? Throughout the scriptures, and certainly when we started the church, church planters are always looking for what God calls a person of peace. That's who you want to found churches on. Christ, of course, but then the people of peace that he sends to you. People of grace and love and mercy. People who do Right, people who are at peace with God and with one another. So, for our action steps this week, I want you to think about this very important question: Is what I'm living for worth what Christ died for? Let me say that again: Is what I'm living for worth what Christ died for? Well, you may be new to faith. You say, "Well, I don't. I don't really know what what Christ died for. I mean, I know you and me, but what does that look like?" Well, again. Um, 1 Peter, this time, says this is what this looks like. I want to share it with you. Finally, all of you have unity of spirit. That's what God wants for us. Sympathy for one another. What does that look like? Well, love for one another, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse, but on the contrary, repay with a blessing. We are to bless those who persecute us, Jesus tells us. It is for this that you were called, that you might inherit a blessing. For those who desire life and desire to see good days, let them keep their tongues from evil and their lips from speaking deceit. We, we cannot lie. We have to be truth tellers. Let them turn away from evil and do good. Yep, that's what we do. We do good. Let them seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, those who do right, and His ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, friends, those who have been with me a long time. You know we're in the Methodist tradition, and we don't, we don't bang on people and, and yell at them. But we have to be clear. Heaven will not abide evil. It just cannot exist there. And if you want to be a part of heaven, you have to root evil out of your life. Well, what is evil? We have to stop doing evil. It is anything in opposition to God. If you look at the word evil... It is the opposite of live. And so evil is anything that pulls away from life, a full life of health and joy and compassion and connection with God and other humans. So as your action step, I want you to become serious about doing nothing that you could consider or that God would consider evil pulling away from God or life. And you're going to need help with that. We all do. So I want to invite you to pray. Pray to God. And ask others for help that you would stop doing anything that is evil in your life. And I want to tell you why. Because the good king, the king of compassion, the king of justice, the king that will not put up with evil and has overcome evil with good is coming to the world. Now friends, one of the great tragedies and temptations of long-time Christians like myself as you can become used to the Christmas story. You can become used to seeing this every year. I'm 53 years old. I've heard the Christmas story at least 53 times. And you can be like, well, yeah, I know Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. But friends, when you see him face to face, it is the most beautiful and powerful thing in all the world. So many of you know, last week, Chantel and I were at a good friend's uh, family wedding. And a young one that we helped grow up in this church was married, Rita Augusta, to his bride, Michael Kate. And we knew months and months and months ago that they were going to get married. And he knew that she was going to get dressed up. And he knew that there would be a time, you know, where the bridesmaids would come down and the groomsmen would come down. And he knew that there would be a time when those doors would open and there she would be. And she would come to him and everything that he had dreamed of for years now and thought of would come right before him. And he knew all that was coming. I mean, he knew it. He'd been to a wedding before. He knew how that was. But the moment the doors opened, the door she came back to him face to face. He was overwhelmed. Here's her dad. Here's her. And he was, just, he was just overwhelmed with joy. Overwhelmed that all the things that had been promised were coming to him. And Lord is coming to you. The church is the bride of Christ. And the groom is coming to us. And it is beautiful, friends, that all things shall be made new in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. It's a beautiful thing. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name.